On Monday, July 27th, 2020, I conducted a series of live streaming interviews to discuss voting rights, voter suppression, and the upcoming 2020 election. This was one of those interviews. In this episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Carol Anderson. Dr. Carol Anderson is a professor of African American Studies at Emory University and the author of White Rage, The Unspoken Truth of Our Nation's Divide, a New York Times bestseller, Washington Post notable book of 2016, and a National Book Critics Circle Award winner. She is also the author of One Person, No Vote, How Voter Suppression is Destroying Our Democracy. Dr. Carol Anderson, how are you? And how are you? I'm very good, and I love your 1619 pen. <laughs> Thank it, you. It's beautiful. I, I, did you get it from the project? Did, 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 uh, did you get it, it to me? Well, she's amazing, and you're amazing, so of course you have that. So, <laughs> <laughs> No, it was so wonderful. We had invited her here. And, um, and, and, and while we're talking, she, you know, she had her pen on. I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. And she's like, I got this for you. I love it. I love it. I, well, it looks wonderful. I, I am a big fan of yours. I have read two of your books. I haven't gotten to all of them yet. Um, you're so verbose with your writing. I've had to catch up, but. I got another great. one coming. What is, do you have a title already? It's called The Second. Ooh. And it's and it's dealing with the Second Amendment and African Americans. Oh my goodness! Okay, well I'm looking forward to that, and I'm going. Do you know? Do you have a date of when it might come out? Next year. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll be ready for it. Okay. Hopefully, we'll be in a little bit better situation too. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know. Well, first, let me just say your books, White Rage and One Person, No Vote, have been incredibly impactful to me. Uh, my highlight, I basically highlighted the entire, both of your books, and they seem to be a companion series. They're talking to each other, these yes. two books. And you succinctly outlined in White Rage um, the direct impact voter suppression tactics had since the passage of the 15th Amendment. Before traversing the history of voter suppression in this country, would you mind talking a little bit about white rage and how you came up with that terminology? I like that aha moment you had in your book about it. Absolutely, absolutely. And so with, with white rage, I, I'm going to start back a little bit further. It's, it, I knew something had gone really awry. Um, it was the killing of Amadou Diallo in February 1999 in New York City, where the NYPD jump out of their car, fire 41 bullets at an unarmed black man. Mm-hmm. And, and Rudy Giuliani is on um, Ted Koppel's Nightline. And Rudy barely mentions the man's name 
Instead, what he talks about is how New York City is safer. My policies are working. It is just, ah, and you know, and safer policies. And then he says that he is police force are the best behaved and most restrained. And I'm thinking best behaved, most restrained, don't fire 41 bullets at an unarmed man. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how because of his policies, New York City was safer. And those policies, what he was really talking about was broken windows policing, which is the hyper policing of black and brown communities where, I mean, cops are on you. You jaywalk on you. You drop a piece of lip on you. Um, You're standing on you. You're walking on you. And it's the the criminalization of those communities. Um, and, And he's talking safer. And I'm thinking it wasn't safe for Amadou Diallo. It's not safe for all of the black and brown folk in New York City. Mm-hmm. So, but I didn't know what to call this thing because he's getting really kind of clinical with his flip charts and all of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I keep writing and I keep writing and thinking and teaching and writing and teaching and thinking. And it's August 2014. And Ferguson, Missouri is in flames. And it didn't matter what TV station I had on. I've got the remote and I'm clicking, right? Mm -hmm. All of the pundits, Fox, MSNBC, CNN, they're all saying the same. Look at Black folk burning up where they live. Can you believe Black people burning up where they live? Who burns up where they live? And Mm -hmm. it was this thing about all this Black rage. And that was the narrative that was really grabbing hold. Black rage. And I'm shaking my head. And I'm like, no, no, this is white rage. And I was in this, 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 this seminar workshop called the Op-Ed Project, which was teaching faculty how to write op-eds. And I went, right. this is white rage. And I just started writing. I, you know, just do, 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 do. it looked like one of those memes where, you know, just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just cranked it out. And because what occurred to me, and I've said this, is that we are so focused in on the flames that we mm-hmm. Right. And the kindling are those policies. And white rage operates via policies. We think of rage in terms of like the Klan Mm -hmm. or in terms of cross burnings, in terms of tiki torch carrying. Mm. Rage is silent and quiet and lethal. Mm -hmm. White rage works through Supreme Court decisions. It works through legislative decisions, new laws. It works through zoning commissions and school boards. All of those things to systematically undermine African-American achievement, African-American advancement. And so Mm -hmm. as I'm working through this, I'm seeing, because I'm a historian, I'm seeing Mm -hmm. these waves of policies 
as African Americans are advancing. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm like, whoa, whoa. Um, and so I carry that analysis from reconstruction at the end of the Civil War all the way through the election of Barack Obama. And mm -hmm. one of those from the reconstruction where African-Americans are no longer property, well, become citizens. Mm -hmm. That is a major advancement. And the policies put in place to undermine that explains why we have to have a civil rights movement, why we have to have John Lewis, mm -hmm. Isaiah Williams, and mm -hmm. all of those freedom fighters beat on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Mm -hmm. Look back to what happened then and the policies put in place to undermine Black citizenship and the mm -hmm. right to vote. Boom. And I carry this through from uh, all the, like I said, all the way to Barack Obama, because yeah. that was like the penultimate advancement, right? There's a black man in the White House. <laughs> exactly. Ooh, how did this happen? <laughs> well, that's why I want to ask you, and I don't want to interrupt your thought, but one of the things that you did so well was map out for us um, these almost predictive rages that would come up. So I'm wondering, I would like to ask you, why did we so much, I, I didn't see it. Why didn't we see that it would be predictive with Barack Obama? And I, I know that uh, Tonahasi Coates mentions it too, because it, it, it took us by surprise. But when you, in your books, you have shown us a pathway of white rage from 1865, I mean, before then, but let's start with 1865 and with the advancements that were happening. And each time, black codes, uh, we have Jim Crow, we, ha you know, each time. Why do you think we failed, to, some of us failed to see it during Barack Obama's election? I think because there was so much, I, I, I am intrigued by narratives. Right. And, and there was a narrative that, America had crossed the racial Rubicon, that all, you know, and there was this kind of euphoria, this, this glow, this, ooh, we have overcome, look at this. I mean, it yes. shows, I mean, and, 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 and folks like to be in the midst of that euphoria. They mm -hmm. like to, to have that feel good feeling. Right, I'm mm -hmm. like incredibly amazed, right? That feel good <laughs> feeling. Um, and, and it's really hard to, to, to be the, the Debbie Downer going, mm, y'all need to be paying attention here. Right. Um, because I saw that, that, you know, I, on the election day, I remember just looking up to the heavens to my mother and going, wow, can you believe? Yeah, yeah. But, but I was also really cognizant of the vitriol that was just coming in a pure, uncut way yeah. at both him and Michelle Obama. Yes. I mean, yes. And, and, and it wasn't about policies. Right. It was about their very being. Mm -hmm. Right. It, 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 and, and, and when it was, somebody would talk about a policy, it was so cloaked that, I mean, barely cloaked that you're like, okay, okay. Right. So, so let me see if I get this right. 
you don't like health care. <laughs> and, and okay, so let me see if I get this right. <laughs> um, mm, you really like being on the edge of a financial abyss where trillions of dollars are just being evaporating. Um, and we're looking at double digit unemployment. You really like that, yes? Right. You know, and so when when you pulled back that it wasn't his policies and you began right. to see the signs and you began to see all of the really nasty caricatures mm-hmm. and, and you saw the depth of the disrespect. You know, Joe Wilson during Obama's speech before Congress, hollering out in the middle of that speech, you lie. Mm-hmm. And the response isn't that he gets his butt dragged to the woodshed. Right. The response is that it becomes a fundraising mechanism where there are those, he he received like a couple of million dollars in in fundraising, applauding. Mm -hmm. I I was Mm -hmm. like, ooh, ooh. Right. Mm. I remember that moment. I remember it very well. And so to me, one of the main advancements for us is access to the ballot box, because this is where change can happen. So I would like to see, um, I would like to, well, one, I want to talk, I would be remiss if we didn't just mention John Lewis for a moment. We talked about him. I've got my picture here. So before we we get to voter suppression and voter purging, I would love your thoughts about the passing of Representative Lewis and um, what his work personally meant to you. I yesterday had to prevent myself from crying three times, so I'm not. I'm going to just put ice on my heart for a moment, so I can be <laughs> just so I can keep it it's together. Not an iceberg big enough. It really isn't. I know. Really I know. Yes. Yes. Um, He's my congressman. Yes. Um, And his courage and integrity, his vision of fighting for all of us. I mean, he was so clear that this wasn't about him. It was about us. He was clear about that when he got on the bus as a freedom rider mm-hmm. and took the beatings in Birmingham and in Montgomery, it was clear when SNCC, his organization, had just about been fed up in Selma. They had tried everything they could in Selma. And Selma was like, what you got? Right. right. I mean, right. Selma was right. hard for defiance. Right. And, and, and so then um, SCLC and Martin Luther King are called in. And Snick mm-hmm. is like, we've been here doing the work. And, and, and John Lewis was like, it's not about us, them. It's about we. Mm-hmm. And so when he is at the front of the line, crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge with Hosea Williams of SCLC, right? Mm-hmm. He's not there as the chairman of SNCC. He's there as John Lewis, because SNCC was like, no, we don't believe in this march. I, I, that march, on, we're not doing that. And he's like, right. yes, I am. Right. That 
kind of courage. Mm-hmm. It's just nothing but, but, and it's steeped in a profound sense of justice. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and so when they call him now, the conscience of the U.S. Congress, it is because I've never seen anything like that before. That right. kind of courage to be, mm-hmm. you know, there's a song, and I keep using that word courage, um, a song back from the 1960s, old Broadway tune, The Impossible Dream. And there's a line in there, I think in terms of song titles, there's a I line love it. I love it. there that says, to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. Wow. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. And I know one day, you know, and so, and that was John Lewis. Yeah. That was John Lewis. Um, And and so when we see then the politicians like Mitch McConnell give lip service to John Lewis's legacy while allowing to just sit there and get cobwebs over it. Right. Two major voting rights bills that have been sitting on his desk. One for over 500 days and another one for over 250 days. Right. Mm. It's insulting. It's insulting. And the hypocrisy and the and the intense lack of courage and integrity. Um, Mm -hmm. Because what we are talking about are entities within the United States who are deliberately blocking American citizens from voting. Yeah. That's that's the bottom line of this, is that Mm -hmm. they have targeted American citizens to ensure that those citizens do not vote. Right. I can't think of anything more un-American. Agreed. Agreed. So, and, and, and to me, I will say that those who are trying to suppress the vote, to deny access to the ballot box, to create disinformation, to make voters say, well, maybe I won't participate, maybe it's not worth it. Why do you think their narratives have been so successful or is it the it's more of the lack of legislation that has been successful but i feel that their narratives that they've used like i would like to talk about some of the narratives they've used to uh purge votes for example voter fraud how has that been successful for them and please talk to me about what the talk about what actually exists when it comes to voter fraud will do part of the beauty of the language of voter fraud is that it is short and succinct right mm-hmm. voters fraud voters commit fraud right? right and then the way so let me do the history of this right. where we really saw the language of voter fraud really take hold in this modern era was in the 2000 election. And what that did was, we often think of the 2000 election, that Bush-Gore presidential election as Florida. But it was Missouri. Missouri is where uh, the St. Louis Board of Elections illegally purged 
nearly 50,000 voters from the rolls. Mm. And so these folks show up to vote, not having any clue, idea that they have been wiped from the rolls illegally. And their names aren't on any poll books anywhere. So the poll workers send them downtown. Thousands of people cramming into the Board of Elections downtown, trying to get back on the rolls on the same day so that they can go vote in a key presidential. The Democrats, as hours are clicking by, the Democrats sue to keep the polls open for a few more hours so that folks can vote because the polls are getting ready to close. Right. Is this almost seven o'clock? Right. <laughs> um, the Republicans come in right after that. After that ruling. Excuse me. Excuse me. Bless Woo. you. Bless you. <laughs> bless, 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 bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, I have my, my allergies are so bad today. And honestly, I'm surprised because my eyes are a little itchy. So I'm actually surprised I haven't been sneezing this whole time. <laughs> I'm so sitting here because I got my water and I was like, need one more clear. Um, so, <laughs> Continue. So, no, but, um, um, the Republicans came in right in after that, right? And they got another judge to overturn the three-hour uh, extension, so that the polls closed at seven forty-five. Now, folks have been illegally pushed. Now, the rationale that the Republicans used was that those folks in St. Louis, you know, in that city. Mm-hmm. We're trying to steal the election. Ugh. They had dogs on the rolls. They had dead people on the rolls. They had used addresses from all of these vacant lots. So they would go into one polling place using one address and then like put on a baseball cap, use another address and go in and vote again. These are folks stealing our democracy. Now, that language then gets embedded into federal law in terms of, okay, how do we stop this? Right. Oh, and, 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 and the use, then the language is to, to, to make possible voter ID. So this right. is where even the broad thing of voter ID comes from, is from mm. the 2000 election. Hmm. That it's based on a lie. And what I mean based right. on a lie. So I'm going to deal with the St. Louis lie, and then I'm going to deal with the larger lie. Because right. it's a lie. The St. <laughs> Louis lie. <laughs> Somebody thought it'd be really cute to register their dog to vote. The dog's name oh, was wow. Ritzy Meckler. That mm. was the, the one that, that Senator Kit Bond then pulls up saying, see, we got a dog on the road. But there's no evidence that Lassie, Rin Tin Tin, Fido, or, or Ritzy voted. Okay. Right, right, yeah. Two, all of those vacant lots, they mm-hmm. weren't vacant. Right. In fact, most of them, at least 82% of them, had mm-hmm. homes built on them. It's just that the city hadn't updated its books. Right. So um, there was a dead man on the rolls, a former uh, alderman, no, no evidence that he voted. So, and I'm thinking, so let me see if I get this right. St. Louis can wipe off 50 doggone thousand folk, but they leave on a dog and a dead man. Really? Right. Right. I digress. But Mm -hmm. the St. Louis, the the St. Louis post-dispatch, that's why I love local journalism. 
they went in there and they investigated every one of Senator Bond's claims and mm-hmm. found they didn't, it didn't hold water. At best, right. out of over 3 million votes, there were four cases of something, 3 million, four cases of something awry, but nothing, those four cases could not have been handled by voter ID. Right, right. Okay, so Justin Levitt, a law professor out of California, hearing all of these, these, these claims about voter fraud, voter fraud, voter fraud, said, looked and he said from 2000 to 2014, he counted up all of the votes in elections in the United States. There were 1 billion votes. Out of those 1 billion votes, he found 31 cases of voter impersonation fraud. 31 out of 1 billion over the span of 15 years. Yeah. This is the foundation of massive rampant voter fraud. It's based on a lie, but what, why it works is that the Republicans, and so, and I'm not going to do a both sidesism here, because yeah, the kind yeah. of mess we're seeing now is really Republican driven. And it's right. driven by the Republicans because the demographics in America are changing. Mm-hmm. And when the Republicans wooed in the Southern Democrats in the late 1960s as part of the Southern strategy, right. they wooed in the toxin of pure, uncut white supremacy. Mm-hmm. They thought they could handle it. Instead, right. the white supremacists drove the moderate Republicans out, just made the toxin of white supremacy so virulent mm-hmm. that that becomes the base. And so nobody trying to run in a national election can get through the primary unless they too are ultra right wing. So the Republicans' policies just don't resonate with the majority of Americans. So you've got two options, reform Mm -hmm. or suppress. They decided Mm -hmm. to suppress. And they really decided to suppress in Georgia. My dad lives in Georgia. My brother lives in Georgia. I'm a former Georgia peach. And I was really heartbroken to see suppressed the vote, which uh, I thought Brave New Films did a wonderful job. And it was wonderful. Yes, yes. Your contribution was wonderful. And except that it was completely heartbreaking, right? Because the way that Kemp was able to suppress the vote, I'm going to say was maniacal because he did it in such a way that I can't even think of a fictional evil superhero that would do it in that way, right? So I want you to just, because I'm talking about even when he kept people from adding them from the voting rolls. I mean, I, I would like you to explain because it's so... I can't comprehend it. So I need you to explain it. Yes, I will. I'll try. Um, Brian Kemp, I wrote a piece in the New York Times called Brian Kemp, Enemy of Democracy. Mm -hmm. Very succinct. Yes. And true. (laughs) So Brian Kemp was the Secretary of State. As the Secretary of State, 
he was responsible for uh, managing the elections. What he began to do early on, and there, I'm, so I'm going to walk through several of those pieces. Sure. Yeah. Um, is one, he had a great concern because the demographics in Georgia are really changing. Um, we have a large African-American population, a large uh, Hispanic population, and a large Asian-American population, growing Asian-American population. So he went straight early on into straight voter intimidation. So organizations that were regist registering African-Americans and um, Asian Americans to vote. He charged them with voter fraud and opened up these big investigations. You know, there's something wrong here. They're registering all of these minorities. We know there's voter fraud, voter fraud. All we have to do is look at the way that he went after the Quitman 10 down in Quitman, Georgia, which were okay. basically a group of black women who organized registered folks to vote, worked on absentee ballots for folks to, to, so people got the education they needed, the civics education they needed on how to use absentee ballots. And in doing that work, it began to change. There were African-Americans who won uh, uh, seats on like the school board. Okay. From that, Brian Kemp comes down to Quitman with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and charges these folks with committing voter fraud, basically stealing the election. So one of the questions you asked is, why does this work so well? It's because voter fraud is often linked with African-Americans, Hispanics, and Asian-Americans. It's linked with minority communities, and it becomes relatively easy then in the kind of psychological narratives that America has to link mm -hmm. cities, minorities, crime. Right. And so just saying, well, you know, in Philadelphia, well, you know, in Milwaukee, well, you know, in St. Louis, it becomes like, well, yeah. So that, that is what Brian Kemp did in Quitman. In every one of the voter intimidation cases that he's done, no one was ever convicted. So the point was to, to get folks to back off. There's a recording of Kemp talking to some of his Republican buddies. And he says, well, you know, they're out here registering all these minorities to vote. And I mean, and if they show up at the polls in November, yeah, we're wow. out of it, right? I mean, so and that was a record. That was a recorded conversation. He yes. was busted with that. Wow. Wow. Yes. So, so you get the sense that the Secretary of State does not want all of these minorities to vote. Wow. Yeah. So, from the voter intimidation to voter roll purges. In 2018, he purged over 10% of registered voters from the rolls. In 2018, when he's now running for governor, 
Mm. And those purges often didn't deal with the fact that, and again, it's nice cover, didn't deal with the fact that people had moved, people had died. And when I mean moved, I mean moved out of the district. Right. It was that they hadn't voted regularly. What we Mm -hmm. know are that young people don't vote regularly. We know that minorities don't vote regularly and poor people don't vote regularly. And so Mm -hmm. it is a way to remove from the voter rolls folks that you believe will not vote for you. Mm -hmm. Then we have the poll closures. Kemp will tell you, well, I didn't shut down the polls. He didn't stop it either. And, and in fact, one of his consultants in 2018, somebody that his office had approved, had been going around to some of these counties where there are sizable Black populations and working with their boards of election to recommend poll closures. He got caught in Randolph County. In Randolph County, which is over 60% Black, Mm-hmm. He had recommended that seven of the nine polling places be closed for fiscal reasons. Oh, gosh. Yeah, <laughs> seven of the nine. And it would have slid right on through, except there was a retired uh, government worker. I forget his name now. Ah, and he's reading the paper. You know, you know it reminds me of my daddy. Daddy used to read the paper from the beginning all the way to the, and so this man is going through and he's reading the legal notices. The legal note, he's reading, and he sees the <laughs> fine print. It was like, he's like, what? Oh no, oh no. Oh, <laughs> right? And right. he raises the alarm. Mm. And that's what blew the lid off. The, over 200 polling places already though, have been closed in Georgia. Mm-hmm. since the U.S. Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act that has John Lewis's blood all over it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What we know is that for every tenth of a mile that a polling place is moved from the Black community, Black voter turnout goes down by 0.5%. It deals Mm. with access, transportation, accessibility. So if Mm -hmm. you move a polling place up to four miles away, Black voter turnout will go down by about 20%. Right. Yes. Unbelievable. Yes. So when you... Yeah. Oh, I I don't want you to lose that train of thought, but I just want to say that this is something that obviously Republicans know that they have also studied, that they know. So this is part of it. This is not an unconscious thing. This is purposeful. They know that they just need to move it here or close it there. But I'm sorry, please continue. Yes, yes. I mean, and and, and we'll we'll see this. Um, Since the uh, Shelby County v. Holder decision in 2013, Mm -hmm. almost 1,700 polling places have shut down the majority of them in those states that had been under what they call the pre-clearance provision of the Voting Rights Act. And those were states that had a demonstrated history of violating the voting rights of their citizens, of their Mm -hmm. African-Americans, and in terms of uh, what they call language minorities. 
right? Mm -hmm. So if you had a certain percentage of those who spoke Spanish or who spoke Chinese or who spoke Japanese or who spoke Korean, and you didn't have your, your, your election system set up to, to embrace the diversity mm -hmm. of, of your electorate, then you're coming under the Voting Rights Act. Since the Shelby County Beholder, wow, actually the number was 1,688 polling places had been shut down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Kemp under, in Georgia, over 200, about 212. Kemp also then has this thing called exact match. Ooh. Now, exact match is about stopping voter fraud. So it says that your voter registration card has to match up exactly with mm -hmm. the information that's in either in the social security database or in uh, Georgia's Department of Driver Services, the, the BMV, the De Department of Motor Vehicles. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, if you have a hyphen, you write your name with a hyphen, uh, Garcia Marquez, but mm -hmm. the state's database doesn't have a hyphen, then your voter registration is kicked off into electoral limbo. Mm -hmm. If you write your name Renee with um, an accent over the E, mm -hmm. but the state's database doesn't have the accent mm -hmm. kicked off. Now, why this is important? is that when Kemp was running this program out of his office, he was sued because of racial discrimination embedded in exact match because it privileges anglicized names. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And lost the lawsuit. So Kemp doesn't go, darn. Kemp then runs to the Georgia legislature which is built on hyper extreme partisan gerrymandered districts mm. and gets that legislature to then codify and make law the exact match program. Mm -hmm. So, mm. and it looks exactly or close to the one that the judge knocked down. That's what Kemp was running in 2018. So in, in October of 2018, because statistically, he and Stacey Abrams are tied. Right. Yes. When you looked at the polls, they are tied. Kim's like, you could almost feel, oh, what am I going to do? And <laughs> so he pulls 53,000 voter registrations from the electorate because of exact match. 70% of those that he pulled were African-American. Fewer than 10% were white. Mm -hmm. Stacey Abrams lost the election by about 55,000 votes. And the number you mentioned earlier of how many were purged in relation to 55,000. Yes. Yes. And, and, and so you, you see all of this coming together. It's, it's mm -hmm. like you shave off some here, you shave off some there. What we have to understand about voter suppression in this modern era is that, is that it mimics voter suppression 
at the rise of Jim Crow and through the Jim Crow era, where right. you have the Constitution that says, the 15th Amendment, the state shall not abridge the right to vote on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. So you can't write a law saying, we don't want Black folk to vote. Right. That's just a little too obvious. Right. So what, what Mississippi did in the Mississippi Plan of 1890 is to say, we will look at the legacies of slavery and make those conditions as the access to the ballot box. So we have systematically denied uh, wages for hundreds of years to black folk. And so we're going to make the lack of wealth access to the ballot box with a poll tax. And we're gonna make it sound reasonable. Mm -hmm. It's expensive. We're gonna do the same thing with literacy. And so when you think about where we are right now, so you'll take a state like Alabama. So Alabama, because of voter fraud, passes uh, an ID law saying you have to have a government-issued photo ID. Mm-hmm. But then does not have on there public housing ID. Right. Wow. 71% of those in public housing in Alabama are African-American. Mm-hmm. What the NAACP Legal Defense Fund found was that for the majority of them, that was the only ID they had. Right. So mm-hmm. you knock out the only government-issued photo ID that many poor African-Americans have. Mm-hmm. How am I doing so far? Yeah. Right? And then, <laughs> right? <laughs> what you do is Governor Bentley then shuts down the Department of Motor Vehicles Mm -hmm. in the Black Belt counties. Mm -hmm. So that now it's going to be about 50 miles. Folks are going to have to go 50 miles to get a driver's license so that they can be able to vote. But here's the thing. Mm -hmm. If you don't drive and you don't have a driver's license and you don't have public transportation, Alabama was ranked 48th in the nation in terms of public transportation, how are you supposed to go 50 miles to get the driver's license that you need? You can't. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, so what you do is you create the obstacle, Mm -hmm. voter ID, and then you create the obstacle to the obstacle. Well, this is one of the reasons why I'm so happy to be talking to you is because, and I believe it was a judge in North Carolina that said that Republicans had uh, targeted uh, Black communities with a precision, right? Surgical and precision. we're, it was surgical precision, and we're, and we're seeing that happen everywhere. But I want to know now, what are we thinking for <laughs> 2020? Bless you. In 99 days, we're going to be voting. Of course, we're voting beforehand, right? Some states do have 45 days early. Some days is 30. Some states, and I believe it's Alabama, there's no early voting. I don't know. I, I, it's a mess, right? But I want to ask about Georgia right now because Kemp is the governor, asterisk, okay, there. What do you think with COVID? Has COVID already been used as an excuse to close down polling stations? What has been conversations among Georgians about this coming election? I want to know everything. 
about the conversations that you all are having about this upcoming election because I know folks are worried and I'm worried about Lucy McBath and I want to make sure that she is reelected. And so that's a letter from her right there on my wall, right there. I want to make sure. <laughs> so, so please give me the gossip. Give me the tea. What is happening in Georgia? I need to know. Um, lots of battles. Okay. Um, and lots of organizing. And, and thinking through how to organize in the middle of a pandemic. And so let me go back to our primary. Okay. Okay. Right. So our primary um, got shut down and moved uh, by 60 days because of the pandemic. <laughs> because we had a governor... Governor Asterix. I'm just going to Governor Asterix. Yeah, Asterix. That's what we're called. Yeah. <laughs> um, who 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 is really Trumpian in refusing to acknowledge uh, the how lethal this thing is, and yeah. and and made these false binaries of like I'm not going to hurt the economy. So outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. You take a breath. Take a breath. This is, this, it's a lot. It is a lot is what is happening lot. right now. It's a hard to process, to fathom it. You just, you just don't want to think that anyone is this intentionally cruel. I think when you have your own instincts of, of, of wanting to share information and, and to, and to be compassionate and then you and you, you know that the complete opposite is in charge of the elections of what's going on. I mean, you know, he's part of it. It's hard to wrap my head around. So anything so, that you can say about it, I get. So Brad Raffensperger, who is the new secretary of state. Right. Right. So he says that he is going to send out um, absentee ballot applications to all active voters. Okay. Okay. Ralston, who is the Speaker of the House, Republican Speaker of the House, is outraged. He goes on, I think it was a radio show or a TV show, or and he's, he's like, this is absurd. If every registered voter gets an absentee ballot, then they're going to vote. And the turnout will be high. That's going to be devastating for the Republicans. And so I, I just need you to frame this right now. If yeah. voters vote, that's going to be devastating for the Republicans. Because that is mm -hmm. exactly what that said. And so mm -hmm. that is the frame. Yeah. That is the frame under which we are operating. This is why, um, and, and, and you have this, this it is, it is um, how to mess stuff up 101. What you do is you make it appear that there are all of these various different jurisdictions and over which you have no control until one of those jurisdictions is like, oh, yeah, we got this. And you, then you step in and go, no, 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 no. So what happened in Athens-Clark County was Athens-Clark looked up and said, by the pricking of my thumb, something wicked this way comes and decided that what they were going to do was to really beef up their mail-in ballot process and really not do in person because one of the problems they had was that the new machines, voting machines that Georgia bought, 
that mm. all of the experts told them not to buy mm. because it doesn't have an audible trail, <laughs> paper trail, and right. the screens are so big that secret ballots no longer can happen because it's almost like being on a jumbotron and everybody can wow. see it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, there's so many problems with this thing, right? Right. And so when Athens Clark just went, and, and they take up so much power that mm-hmm. the precincts were having to rewire their entire buildings in order. I mean, just, just all of this was foreseen and predictable and the Republicans forged ahead anyway. Mm-hmm. So when Athens Clark says, nah, mm, uh, then Raffensperger comes down almost like the wrath of God right. and, and, and beats Athens Clark into submission. So they're like, okay, fine. But these places weren't ready. So here in, in, in Atlanta and areas in Fulton County, four and five hour waits uh, because yeah. machines weren't working. Mm-hmm. People hadn't received their absentee ballots. What Raffensperger said was, well, it's not our fault. Uh, all of, <laughs> it's up to each one of the counties. There's 159 counties in Georgia. So when you diffuse and disperse responsibility like that, mm-hmm. it allows you to know that you've got a crap show in the middle of a pandemic getting ready mm. to happen, but you could say, like that old song from Shaggy, yeah, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Pass the buck. Exactly. Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, 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 and then I'm going to add on another layer. Then when you yeah. have President Asterix, Mm-hmm. Talking yes. about uh, mail-in ballots are just full of fraud. It's nothing but voter fraud. As a way to undermine the legitimacy and the validity mm-hmm. of mail-in ballots, which also give us an audible paper trail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and which have been done se- I won't say seamlessly, nothing is seamless, but very well in Mm. Oregon, Washington, Utah, and Colorado. Mm. Right. Those are four states that are heavy on the mail-in ballots. Mm -hmm. And Mm. they don't have this massive rampant voter fraud that President Asterix is talking about. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. his attorney general is talking about. Mm. But it is a way to, to, to... and, oh, Lord, and added on to that, because what's happening in these states like Georgia, like Kentucky, um, like Wisconsin, is that in the middle of a pandemic where you have f- folks with integrity who are running these elections saying voters should not have to choose between their right to vote and their right to health. Right. Right. So they should be able to vote safely from home. Mm -hmm. And so you're getting these kind of exponential requests for mail-in ballots. Mm -hmm. Without the resources coming in from the federal level to provide the staffing that they need, these states need in order to process all of these these new requests. 
Mm-hmm. And then you have President Asterix who put his boy in charge of the mm-hmm. post office with a guiding memo to slow down delivery. Right. So right. sabotage all over mm-hmm. the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. And again, it is what Brian Kemp said. We've mm-hmm. got all of these minorities registering to vote. Mm. <laughs> if they show up in November. Mm. Right? So yeah. the fear of American citizens voting. Mm-hmm. That was what was driving this new realm of voter suppression after Barack Obama's election. Right. Right. Because, I, yeah. Okay, no, continue, continue. Okay. okay. Um, mm-hmm. Because one of the things we hear, we, we remember earlier in our conversation, we talked about, ooh, we passed the racial Rubicon. Look at us crossing. Yeah. No! <laughs> we overcome. And that becomes yeah. part of the, the kind of narrative that this nation tells itself. And what that mm-hmm. meant was the majority of whites who voted cannot be racist because they voted to put a black man in the White House. Right. Well, actually, the majority of whites who vote have not voted for a Democratic candidate for president since 1964, mm-hmm. since Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act. Right. And right. in 65, we get the Voting Rights Act. Since that mm-hmm. moment, the majority of mm-hmm. whites have not voted for a Democratic candidate for president. Mm-hmm. And that includes Sons of the South, Jimmy Carter out of Georgia, and Bill Clinton out of Arkansas. They did right. not get the majority of white voters. Yeah. No, he that's right. Barack Obama. So right. how did he get there? That incredible ground game, organizing, mm-hmm. registering mm-hmm. folks to vote, right? And mm-hmm. millions of new voters came to the polls, overwhelmingly mm-hmm. African-American, mm-hmm. Hispanic, Asian-American, young, and poor. That mm-hmm. is the hit list for voter suppression in 2020. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I want to ask this because we, we only have about five minutes left. I could talk to you for another six hours, but <laughs> I, got, I only got five minutes left. I would love to know your thoughts. You, you are working right now. You joined the uh, Guardian U.S. to do like a year long vote, like discussion on voter suppression. And it's excellent, by the way. I've really enjoyed it. What would you like to see? I was so thankful to see that type of reporting on voter suppression, but I'm not really seeing it in uh, in other parts of the media right now. One of the reasons I wanted to do this was because I wasn't seeing an inclusive conversation about voter suppression and the many obstacles. So what would you like to see over these next 14 weeks, 99 days from the media specifically about voter suppression, about this election? About this election, I would like to see really good reporting about, for instance, the barriers that are up. I am so sick and doggone tired of analyses that say, well, in 2016, Black folks just didn't show up um, because they just weren't filling Hillary. 
because in 2016, there was a 7% drop in black voter turnout. But that was the first presidential election without the protection of the Voting Rights Act. Right. And so when you get analyses that, that, that consistently misses that key element, then it goes awry. And like, so mm -hmm. how do we, you know, so we get, well, you know, there's really not enthusiasm. I don't want to hear horse race reporting on this mm -hmm. election. Mm -hmm. I want us to, to think through why are folks having to knock on the doors in Kentucky to vote? Why? Do we have five and six hour lines at the polls mm -hmm. in Georgia mm -hmm. and in Nevada? Why mm -hmm. are our absentee ballots? Are we getting a, a, a spoil rate that is so high that we mm -hmm. are refusing to count the ballots of American citizens? What is going on and how mm -hmm. do we get this tight? And, and mm. as long as we're doing horse race reporting as if, as if we are not in the middle of a crisis mm -hmm. in American democracy. Agreed. Um, and and what, we what I really believe that we're also, what I, Trump and his minions have done everything they can to degrade and debase our institutions mm. of democracy. Mm -hmm. um, from the suppression of the vote to the debasement of the, the Senate, uh, where they won't even look at evidence or hear witnesses. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, to stuffing the judiciary um, with right-wing mm -hmm. ideologues who more of them have been found to be unqualified by the American Bar Association than ever before. I mean, mm -hmm. all of these kinds of debasements, and de but what has not been debased and degraded have been the American people. Right. When you think about how folks are in the street, yes. <laughs> when yes. you think about begging on the doors to vote, let mm -hmm. me in, when you think about folks going, I'm not leaving this line, and mm -hmm. other folks bringing pizza and chairs. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. um, yes. We are willing to fight for this democracy. Mm -hmm. And I that's agree. what we also need to not lose sight of. Mm -hmm. um, and we also need to call out the folks like Mitch McConnell, who is sitting mm -hmm. there with fully formed bills on his desk. Mm -hmm. And he can't even bother in the mm -hmm. midst of, you know, so it feels so Brian Kemp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we can, true. If, if all of these folks can vote. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's outrageous. Exactly. It's outrageous. And I, I just want to say, I, it's really been an honor to speak to you. I've seen some of your lectures online and your energy is so wonderful and it's so needed because you so recognize the seriousness of this moment. And you're like, I'm going to bring this energy to this seriousness right now because y'all need this. Okay. I need you all to get up. Let's do this. You know? So I so appreciate it. I'm going to be thinking Georgia will be on my mind. Uh, this election. When I knew why Ray Charles was singing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, he was thinking about this moment. Georgia is on our mind right now. And and I um, I am going to um, post a couple of the articles from The Guardian so people can see it. Um, but really, it, I it's funny to me, the people that are so epically wonderful are, are the ones that are the most humble and sweet and generous, and that is you. So I really thank you. No, I really do appreciate your time, Dr. Anderson. And this is really a resource. And I just, I'm having people saying, thank you, Dr. Anderson. I just have one. Most of the people are like, I'm so frustrated. I was like, I know. Ah, wow, I didn't know that about Missouri, but so you really helped people today. So thank you so much. And please just tell them to check their registration. And if they're not registered, register to vote. Check online, yes. make sure that yes. they don't kick you off. Um, Absolutely. And then if you can vote early, do so to yes. avoid the long lines during, in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, that is a perfect advice. Yeah. All right, Dr. Anderson, I will Thank see you, you on the internet. And I'm hoping when all of this COVID is taken care of, that I can, um, when I visit my father in Georgia, I can come by and have a cup of coffee or tea at your office. I would love just to spend five minutes in person with you would be wonderful. So thank you. Thank you. No, thank you, Dr. Anderson. I will see you on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to this special season of obscene election coverage and voter information. 